I'm Alex Mosad, and welcome to Winner Take All, where we talk about the constant battle between large tech monopolies and traditional incumbents. We have a number of people on the show who say, well, you know, what is it that you do, Alex? <laughs> uh, what is it that Applico does? And um, just in the past 24 hours, it was announced that uh, Ahol Del Hayes, uh, one of the largest grocery retailers in the world, uh, probably doing around $70 billion in revenue. Um, in the U.S., they own things like Stop and Shop, Food Lion. They own grocery stores uh, and chains in, in the U.S. and in Europe, um, is acquiring Fresh Direct. And Applico was fortunate to, to be able to be an advisor uh, on this transaction and, and analyze the acquisition target being Fresh Direct. Well, I can't speak specifically to the details of the transaction, you know, I think what's really interesting and what makes this such a compelling deal uh, for Ahold is that if you look at the broader spectrum of what's going on with food, what's going on with uh, just digital e-commerce purchasing, obviously, we've talked a lot on the show about looking at, um, you know, in March, April, right when COVID hit, looking at digital grocery orders where Instacart spiked up to be the number one player for a period of time, uh, beating that of Walmart even. And we're clearly seeing this shift. But you know, the interesting thing here is, if you don't know what Fresh Direct does, Fresh Direct is uh, based in the New York area, and they deliver fresh groceries, uh, you know, huge emphasis on fresh goods, you know, really kind of premium quality products. Uh, they deliver. There's no store that you go into for Fresh Direct, right? You are buying it online in an app. That's the only way to do it. You can't go in. There is no store, right? It's direct from a warehouse uh, to your doorstep. I think if we if we just look at what's going on with these large tech monopolies in 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 marketplace businesses, whether in the U.S., China, Europe, obviously this is the future. Right, you're you're seeing this model of saying, how can I um, give you, you know, next day, same day delivery of goods, and at a at a great price. It's frictionless, right? I mean, and and this, you know, this news talked about this at different times, right? But I mean, look at this. This isn't food specific. Uh, Amazon plans to put 1,000 warehouses in suburban neighborhoods. Amazon plans to open 1,000 small delivery hubs in cities and suburbs all over the U.S. Uh, the facilities, which will eventually number about 1,500, will bring products closer to customers, making, making shopping online about as fast and as quick as it is to run to the store. This, this is the new way of shopping. COVID has been a huge accelerant. We heard Doug McMillan, uh, CEO of Walmart. We're going to cover their earnings release uh, in, in a couple topics here. But you know, clearly, this is the way of the world. And um, having an asset like, like Fresh Direct, uh, which is really at the forefront of doing this, this right straight from a warehouse to your doorstep, high quality products at good prices, um, to me is a big asset, right? As we just look at the way of the world when it comes to fulfilling digital orders and grocery being a huge driver, right? I mean, what was the big driver for Walmart's digital prowess that we see? It was their pickup and store capability for groceries, right? That was the, that was that kind of killer hook that Walmart did was to say, Hey, order your groceries 
on an app and pick it up at the store. They're going to be ready for you. You don't need to come into the store. That's really the thing that sent Walmart's app and then and then had reverberations for the rest of their e-commerce we're going to get to in a second. You know, grocery, it just you look at purchasing frequency, you look at the demand, uh, it's not going anywhere. You got to do it. And, and, and this new fulfillment model, the I don't want to go into the store fulfillment model, Certainly on the rise, and I and I think this deal um, is a great testament to that. And uh, you know, I'm excited to see where it goes uh, for Ahold and 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 the folks over at Fresh Direct. So uh, that's very exciting, and and job well done to all those involved. Next one is Apple. Apple making a not so smart decision. Apple has now announced that they're going to cut their App Store fees in half. Or most developers, so it's not going to apply to the large app developers like um, Spotify, but for smaller developers, it's it's basically going to partially cut fees up to a million dollars a year. Uh, there's some caps and some you know ins and outs of it, but but here's the thing: this is a weak move, and you know I I I don't think Tim Cook did a good job on this. What does this do already? Already, the reactions from the developers aren't saying, oh, thank you, Apple. Apple, this is so nice of you. Uh, you know, the big tyrant is no longer the tyrant. We now, we, now, we now are so fond of you, Apple. No, no one's saying that. Here's what they're saying. The changes failed to appease one of the more vocal small developers who relies on Apple's ecosystem. These guys are rich, by the way. So, you know, don't take too much pity on them. If you're a developer making $1 million, Apple is still asking to be paid $150,000, right? Just to process payments on the monopoly computing platform in the US. That's obscene. So basically that's saying a 15% take rate instead of 30% take rate, you know, and then they go on, what do you want? You know, what do you really want from Apple? Simple. We want the choice to use a different payment processor so we can have competition. Monopoly platform can't mean monopoly payments. It can, actually, sorry. And the right to tell customers that our software is for sale without linguistic contortions. This means he wants to be able to tell you that when you download his app for free on the App Store, he wants to say, don't pay for it here, but go pay for it over there, cutting Apple out of the transaction. We call that platform leakage, um, which no platform in their right mind would ever allow. But for some reason, uh, Tim Cook has caved, he has kowtowed, to a small, relatively small, but very vocal community of developers that um, want to engage in platform leakage. Um, and frankly, it's a dumb decision. It's a weak decision. And that's not what you want to project. What does this do? Does it actually, does it actually lighten up any of the uh, vitriol against Apple? No, of course it doesn't. It actually increases it. Because now what it shows, there's blood in the water. And when you give an inch, they take a mile. And now what Apple's, Apple's going to have even more claims against it. Because now they're showing that they're going to budge. Since the beginning of the App Store, literally, since uh, Steve Jobs, may he rest in peace, they have been charging 30%. Okay? Uh, why did Tim Cook decide to change this? Apple has produced all these studies. Apple published a study that claimed its 30% cut is normal for the industry or lower than some app stores. So now Apple's commissioned all this research that says we're paying, you know, we're charging what's normal. We're not overcharging. And now 
do you believe that research right now? Now all it's doing is discrediting Apple's own research and Apple's own prior position. Now you say, well, I can't believe anything you're saying, Apple, because you just are making arbitrary decisions, which is exactly what they're doing. This is a horrible decision, a sign of weakness by Tim Cook, really bad leadership on his part and the rest of the leadership team in Apple. I can tell you if Steve Jobs were around today, this would not have happened. A, a real dumb decision, and it's only going to create more problems than solve them. So great job, Apple executives. Why do you make hundreds of millions of dollars? Because this decision does not justify it. I can tell you that much. Not to mention, you're now just blowing away billions of dollars in revenue, as the analysts here have covered, uh, and will continue to now you know, hit. It's, it's just, it's, it, this is their highest margin revenue. It's literally like 95 plus percent margin just goes straight to their bottom line and poof, gone because of, you know, COVID is their excuse. But you can never, they're never going to be able to reclaim this ground, COVID. Okay. When COVID is gone and everyone's got a vaccine, you think Apple's going to be able to raise this back to 30%? No, they've shot themselves in the foot and actually gained nothing from it. So horrible decision. Okay. Next topic, Walmart. Walmart came out with their Q3 earnings and they're on fire. Same store sales grew 6.4% in the United States. E-commerce sales grew 79%. 79%. Look at this chart. Boom. This is the money slide. This is what, this is what Walmart needs to put in their press release. I mean, look at this. 79%. Look at Q2. Almost 100%. Right, compared to 2019 Q3, they had a 41% uh, growth. This is year over year growth, right? So, measuring what were the sales uh, in Q3 from the prior year compared to this year's Q3. So, it's year over year, not quarter over quarter. 41% year over year was, was the calculation from 2018 versus 2019 Q3, right? 41%. Now, 2019 versus 2020 is 79%. This is how you build a dominant marketplace. Doug McMillan, Mark, the whole team over there, they understand marketplaces. They are on an absolute supply craze. They are trying to sign up third-party sellers as a top, top priority in the business. It makes complete sense. Their e-commerce demand is on fire, and you got to feed the beast. How do you feed the beast? You bring in more third-party sellers. You bring in more variety. You make more competitive prices, right? From more sellers competing on the same SKUs, uh, they are absolutely crushing it. it. They had to jumpstart it. They were jumpstarting it with digital grocery ordering, pickup in store, uh, grocery integration. That's a linear kind of hack that they did. But then, boom, they were ready. They had invested. COVID hit, and. Uh, this trend, as Doug and as Doug and others in their in their press release say, this is accelerating e-commerce and digital buying trends by years, and they see it continuing. They don't see this kind of bouncing back to the old days. Um, this is going to be a lasting Im impact on people's behavior, and Walmart is there to benefit, and you know they deserve it. They hadn't been they bought Jet.com in 2016. They granted. Granted, it took them 22 years to make a serious transaction since Amazon was founded in 94. So 
they had a little bit of time. You know, they, they tried to do Walmart Marketplace, uh, build from scratch model 2009. They bought Jet 2016. They've been at it. Wasn't like, I mean, if they had done this 15 years ago, just imagine where they'd be. But anyway, nonetheless, I give absolute credit to to Doug and and Mark and the, and the team over there at Walmart. They invested in this far ahead far ahead of the rest of their kind of retail peers. They took risks. They've continued to invest at least a billion dollars a year into e-commerce and fulfillment capabilities that they needed to get two-day delivery and all these kinds of things that they're doing. They are now, you know, starting to show you can compete. The incumbent Walmart can compete against the tech monopoly, Amazon, um, and and prove successful, right? That that Walmart does have intrinsic assets. They've got stores, they've got fulfillment capability, they've got supplier relationships that Walmart can compete and can be successful in competing um, with Amazon. Walmart today has a market cap of $430 billion. Amazon has a market cap of $1.56 trillion. When you actually look at the throughput, Walmart sells more stuff than Amazon. Okay. Walmart, call it a little less than a fourth the size uh, of Amazon, sells more stuff than Amazon, is not even a third valuation size of Amazon. Okay. This is a story of saying if Walmart can show marketplace working, show digital working, e commerce working, and you think about the multiple that Walmart can can command, right? If you look at what their multiple is, they have a PE ratio of about 22. And Amazon's ratio is 91. So when you look at that, the rel- right? Actually, Amazon's four times as expensive as Walmart, if you look at the PE ratio. Why? Well, is Amazon overvalued? I mean, you could have that argument, sure. I would say is Walmart undervalued? And I would say, yes, full disclosure, Walmart is not in plat. One day they will when they, you know, when they have enough um, e-commerce and, and GMV, but they haven't disclosed that stuff recently. We're kind of guesstimating where it's at. One day I think Walmart will be in plat. Until that point, I do own Walmart personally and am very bullish on, on where they will go over the ne- next few years. Okay, last topic. China crackdown. Is this new or what's going on in Beijing? Um, you could say, oh, it's probably a good thing that Plat, the platform ETF that we launched with Wisdom Trees, Wisdom Trees ETF, Plat's on fire. Um, you could say, oh, probably a good idea that you limited that international exposure, that Chinese exposure, which was done um, this summer. This is why it's a good thing because here is Tencent, Alibaba, and Meituan, uh, the like, Uber Eats and, and ride sharing, you know, equivalent, Maituan Dianping um, in China. Here's their shares over the past couple of weeks. Um, not doing so hot. Why is that? Big tech monopoly crackdown hits China. We started maybe a couple episodes, we were talking about Jack Ma mouthing off against the powers that be. Don't bite the hand that feeds you, Jack. Uh, well, he decided to basically say the government is stupid. Price, surprise, the bureaucrats in China didn't really take too kindly to that, and they killed and canceled his Ant Financial IPO. Hmm. Yeah, could have had better timing there. And now the crackdown continues beyond Ant. 
Uh, it's now going to Alibaba. It's going to the rest of the tech monopolies. Interesting thing here is that one of the things they call out is that these tech monopolies in China are actually co-conspirators. They are coordinating their efforts amongst themselves to uh, stamp out competition. So alliances that squeeze out smaller rivals and subsidizing services at below cost to eliminate competitors. That part is normal. The alliances that squeeze out smaller rivals, I mean, that's some vindictive stuff, guys. I mean, you have just competing against one tech monopoly is hard enough. Now they're teaming up. (laughs) Now they're teaming up to beat out other rivals. I mean, uh, that's, uh, you know, that's that's some next level. um, That's some next level antitrust, anti-competitive type of behavior. Now the Chinese officials are are trying to establish a framework to curb this anti-competitive behavior. You know, they're going after all, all the big players that you would expect. They're looking at... They may also require companies that operate what they call a variable interest entity. This is a vehicle through which virtually ever, every major Chinese internet company attracts foreign investment and lists overseas. So right for any of these uh, tech monopolies that, that are getting outside investor capital, um, they, these companies may have to apply for specific operating approvals. So I guess this is now another mechanism to assert even more control over the tech monopolies. I'm and I guess, you know, start to get into foreign investors control and how much uh, sway they have with these um, with these companies. So we had heard rumors of this. One of the things, surprise, surprise, in, you know, in this Wall Street Journal article, which is all over the place, is they reference how Ant Financial, magically Ant Financial is being smeared in these reports. I wonder how that happens, uh, Jack Ma. And and financial is taking advantage of consumers with lending, right? Predatory lending, uh, uh, providing credit cards and debt too freely to, you know, take advantage of these upstanding, uh, you know, communist citizens in China. Not a good thing you want to be branded as if you got a communist country to be a money grubber that takes advantage of its people with debt, predatory debt. That's not a good rhetoric <laughs> to have applied to your company. Well, that's now and financial. I would imagine this means that definitely any of these other Chinese tech monopolies are going to be way more reticent to do anything in financial services or are really going to be scrutinizing. They do have activity in financial services, what they're going to continue to do. Uh, If anything in financial services, that is certainly going to be a hot button here. But in general, we've already seen the Chinese government literally staff departments of government officials inside of these tech monopolies. We've been covering that for months. Uh, And these people are, these government officials in these businesses, literally in the office, are coordinating what content, for example, uh, should be allowed, what users should be penalized, and making sure that the, um, the conversations and communications and dialogue on particularly the social media and content platforms are up to snuff. Um, that we've spoken about on the show also had um, uh, hampered the share price of many of these tech monopoly stocks if they had a content platform play because they were open to more regulatory scrutiny as a result of that. So, uh, you know, I, I think this is more a kind of just continuation of, of stuff that we've seen. I don't 
I think just you know, just the ant financial stuff really must have struck a nasty chord um, within the CCP, and now they are lashing out. Uh, and there's nothing you can do about it. Nothing you can do. We're seeing, for example, in the United States, we're seeing uh, ByteDance and TikTok try to challenge, uh, you know, the Trump administration's executive order blocking. Uh, the ban of TikTok and and these kinds of things and and um, they have at least have a mechanism to try. Yes, there are court systems in China, but look, we all understand that when the CCP, uh, when this comes on down from 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 high up above, um, you better just pray <laughs> and kiss the ring and and hope uh, that they. Don't get too grumpy with you because there really is not much recourse these companies are going to be able to do, um, depending upon how this goes. So, more to come on that. Uh, the last thing, actually, is hmm, I have to do that. Um, the last thing, actually, is this. I'll leave you on a fun note. So, a few episodes ago, I was saying, you know, I. I don't know why. I, I don't know why Elliott Management decided to keep Jack Dorsey as CEO of Twitter. I don't think he's done a good job. Don't think they've had. I mean, clearly they had flat growth, literally flat growth, um, in 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 their latest earnings release. And you know, I mean, the the guy was back on Capitol Hill testifying. I mean, look at the guy. This. This is the CEO. This is the CEO of Twitter testifying to the Senate. It's just unprofessional. Yeah, $30 billion company. The guy is CEO of two companies, by the way. That's also unheard of. Apparently, he's really barely involved at Twitter. His executive team wants more time from him. They can't get it. Not to mention, the executive team underneath jack is just not that strong sorry guys uh that's the word on the street just not that strong and i bet if you were stronger elliot management would have probably picked one of you to be the new ceo but they probably looked at the state of the leadership and said i don't want any of these people to run the company uh so now i'm just stuck with jack dorsey and if you get rid of jack dorsey probably that executive team then mutinies or leaves or something i mean elliot management is just Elliott Management's activists, just stuff they've been doing, it's not really panned out too well. I think they're exiting uh, AT&T now. And, and uh, I mean, they got very aggressive with a number of companies and I didn't really understand the plan that they had. We've talked about that on the show. But nonetheless, uh, Jack Dorsey is certainly nothing to write home about in terms of CEO performance. This tweet is what I'll leave you with. October 2013, Snapchat launches stories. Uh, August 2016, Instagram copies it. February 2017, WhatsApp copies it. March 2017, Messenger copies it. Those are all Facebook entities. November 2018, YouTube copies it, Google. September 2020, LinkedIn copies it, Microsoft. November 2020, Twitter copies it. And, and, and the annotation is wild how closely this matches each company's reputation for shipping. Uh, what that means is reputation for innovating, for shipping product, for 
releasing new features and product innovations. Uh, and so Alex Sapp, I think, hits it right on the head on this one. Twitter is doing nothing that impressive and just more of the same old molasses, which is why you have flat user growth. Thank you so much for joining us today on Winner Take All. I will talk to you soon.